Welcome to Teaching, Reading, and Writing, the official podcast of the Literacy Research Center and Clinic at the University of Wyoming. Connecting, supporting, and expanding literacy instruction within Wyoming and around the world. Welcome, everyone. I'm Lee Hall with the Literacy Research Center and Clinic at the University of Wyoming, and I'm really excited today. We have joining us Dr. Vicki Gellis. Vicki, welcome. Thank you. Vicki is a former science teacher for 20 years and a former professor working at Clemson University for 20 years and for six years as a Wyoming Literacy Endowed Chair. So we're really excited to have you here today. And I'm hoping you can sort of start us off by talking about how you got into teaching reading because you didn't start out as a reading or a literacy person. You started out as a secondary um, secondary high school, right? Science teacher. So right, yeah. How, how'd you get from A to B? Um, I guess I would be called an accidental literacy person because in 1973 I was teaching in Florida in Orlando, and the state legislature passed a law that said all secondary teachers had to have content area reading. Now, Hal Herbert's book, Continuary Reading, had been published in 70. And so it was, there was a right to read thing across the nation and different states did different things. And that's how Florida chose to implement their right to read. And so I owed my science supervisor a very big favor. And he called me one day and said, I need you to be at the district office at two o'clock for a meeting. I said, fine, what is it? And he said, well, it's, it's uh, I said, no, no, what is it? And he said, it's reading. And I said, no, you've confused me with somebody who cares. I don't need reading. I teach a hands-on science course. And he said, well, nonetheless, I need somebody at this meeting that I forgot about, and you will be there at two o'clock because you owe me. I said, okay, fine. So I went. But I took a set of papers to grade just so I wouldn't waste my time in this stupid reading meeting. And when I arrived, instead of the 50 teachers I thought would be there, there were only eight of us, two in each of the four major content areas. So right away, I was really not a happy camper because now I couldn't grade my papers. It's going to be a total waste of time. So Joy Monahan, who was the secondary science supervisor, uh, reading supervisor at the time, got up and did her spiel. And she talked about how to teach reading through content. And all this time I'm thinking, oh, lady, you are barking up the wrong tree here. Don't tell me how to teach science. And at the end of her presentation, she said, now, I just try one or two of these ideas. And, and get back to me. And I thought, oh, I have you. I got perfect situation. That year I was teaching gifted kids and what might be called ungifted kids. Now in my ungifted class, I had students who were regularly a thorn in my side. One in particular had started removing the bolts in the table about every six weeks, she'd get all the bolts taken out, never could catch her at it. 
and somebody would come and throw his books on the table the very next period and it would collapse. And then uh, you know, it was just chaotic. So I tried her ideas, two of them. They were, of course, the ideas that required the least from me. And they were, first of all, I inverted the way I was teaching. I did labs first. Then I talked about what we did in lab and how it related to the reading, gave them the lecture that I typically would do first, and then gave the reading assignment. So it was lab, lecture, reading assignment, instead of reading assignment, lecture, and lab. And I also did a list group label activity with them instead of coming up with a review sheet, which I'd always done for them, which was, you know, ridiculous because they never did the review sheet, particularly this, this class. I'd find them wadded up in the trash can, which just did nothing but elevate my blood pressure. And so we did a list group label for review. And then I gave my ungifted and my gifted class which, by the way, I have taught in my normal, brilliant way, um, the same test. It's the only time I ever graded the test twice. Because my ungifted kids, the kids that I assumed could not read a word, had higher scores than my gifted class. And the best essay happened to be written by the young lady who was so talented in mechanics and unscrewed the bolts, which she never did again after that. And I called Joy, apologized for my rude behavior at the in-service and asked her if she had any other ideas. And that is the way I became a teacher trainer in disciplinary literacy. Um, for me, content comes first, always. So you have to look at what you're going to teach and ask yourself a few simple questions. What do I want the kids to know and be able to do at the end of this instruction? And what do they need to read? It may not be a text like hard black and white text. Might be a video, might be a lab, um, might be going outside and doing some observing. But you've got to ask those questions. And then you choose strategies that are going to help them accomplish the learning tasks that you've set for them. Right. Um, and this goes for elementary teachers too, because I've seen elementary teachers who's, like my granddaughter is in fifth grade, she gets science every other day and social studies every other day. And when she was in like third grade, it was like a quarter of social studies and then a quarter of science. And that's just nonsensical because if you do that, they have none of the prior knowledge they so desperately need when they do arrive at middle school. Right. So for elementary teachers out there, I would say teach science teach social studies, but teach literacy at the same time. You can accomplish two things simultaneously. Absolutely. And, and as a teacher, 
you really have to, because we have too much to do to do one thing, do it well and move on. You've got to do two or three things simultaneously. Yeah. And I think this is a really, you know, your message about content first, I think is one that is really important and that can resonate with really any teacher because all teachers, it doesn't matter if you're a first grade teacher or 12th grade teacher, it doesn't matter what subject matter you're teaching, there's subject matter at some point in that day. And just thinking about, right, what is that content? And then what is the, what is the instruction that I need to provide, be it vocabulary or strategies or skills or, or whatever, how to yes. access the text features to notice, right? Then come in, build that in instead of saying, then- I'm going to do a skill and build content in. Yeah, there was some research done by um, McGowan and Beck. Yes, yes. (laughs) And they did a piece um, on content versus strategies. Mm -hmm. And the whole reading field was up in arms after that because what they found was content really mattered. And that if you teach strategies and only focus on the strategies without the content, you're not really teaching anything about comprehension. And so using that content first is to me the most important thing about disciplinary literacy. And in fact, content determines process is the mantra that Herbert developed way back in 1970. Right. It's just that between 70 and now, people seem to have forgotten that. But it is like if I'm so if I'm an elementary teacher listening to this, I mean, there's still a place, I think a time and a place, right, where you're teaching a specific skill and you're teaching a specific strategy. Yes. But but I think also, (laughs) you know, what you're saying is regardless of what grade. There's also a time and a place where you that content is front and center, and then yes. you embed and you might bring in those skills and strategies that you gave separate lessons on and show how they connect to the content, or you might have to teach entirely new ones. Exactly, and I think the important part about those skills and strategies is kids need to know not just what the strategy is and how to do it. They also need to know why and when. Yes. There is context there. And if they don't understand how to employ a particular strategy and when to employ it and when not to do it, they are no better off. Because the teacher's job is to work your way out of a job. The end of the (laughs) year, those kids shouldn't need you. And, and you're making me think about one of the common, common issues I hear a lot that teachers run into about transfer, where, hey, yes. I taught you this skill, I taught you this strategy, and you, you really seem like you understood it. And now we're reading science, we're reading social studies, and you should be able to use this because you showed me that you learned it, but you're not, right? So a lot of kids that are struggling, they don't make that transfer on their own. They might do fine when you teach them the skill and they demonstrate it, but they, it may not occur to them. So this is even doubly important because they, they get to see it in context and use it. Exactly. And it is, it's that conditional information mm-hmm. that I believe um, 
Dave Reinking and I did some pieces on this back in the 90s. It's that conditional information about those strategies that is so often missing. Mm-hmm. And, and if kids don't know why they are being asked to do whatever it is they're being asked to do, um, they, again, they really aren't going to become independent users. And you also, teachers also have to be able to differentiate between a teacher-directed mm-hmm. strategy and a student-directed strategy. Student-directed, kids can become independent users of those. Yeah. Teacher-directed, not so much. And you want to be sure you have a balance of those. Yeah. So, you know, welcome to the world. Teachers now have four more balls to keep in the air as they're juggling right. these days. Um, it To me, it's just very, very important for teachers and parents and kids to understand that reading takes a lot of form and text isn't just in books. Right. If you are driving into Laramie from Cheyenne and you drive down that big hill and you look across at the cliffs, a geologist reads those layers in a very different way than I do because I appreciate their beauty, but I couldn't tell you what they mean. Exactly. But a geologist can read that. Yep. Just like if I have a mic, uh, a slide under the microscope, I can read what's on that slide. Yep. That is point. still literacy. Yep. And in, in mathematics, if you have symbols, you have to understand that some of those symbols are used multiple times in different contexts mm-hmm. and the meanings change. Yep. And so you have to learn, uh, you know, math, you're dealing with symbols, you're dealing with numbers, several num- number systems, and, and you're, you're dealing with... Yes, and in there too. You got it all in, in there. <laughs> and and so to understand the complexity of that is just um, it's so important. And I've often wondered why, after over fifty years now, since since Herbert's book came out, we don't seem to be any further along than we are. Mm-hmm. And I, I just feel like once, once teachers learn that strategies are there to be adapted to the content you're teaching and the kids in front of you, and that they may or may not do a strategy in exactly the way you teach them, but as long as they are true to the principles behind that strategy, they'll be fine. They might just invent a better way to do it. That is such an important and beautiful message. Vicki, thank you so much for being here. I mean, we loved hearing the story of how you got from science teacher <laughs> to reading expert. And you know, this advice about adapting strategies and content first, I think is one that will be beneficial and really resonate with any teacher. Um, And to everyone out there, thank you so much for tuning in and please join us for our next episode.